I'm going to be sharing something that I believe might be very new, maybe. And, uh, and I, just, I just ask that at this time you really have an open mind. And here's what I mean, is that in this life, no matter how old you are, you'll continue to grow and to ask questions. Even when you're older, you will still begin to unlearn things that you were taught growing up and you'll realize that it wasn't true. Now that's scary for a lot of people, especially when you've believed something for maybe 30, 40, or even 50 years, or even more, and then you realize that what you believed growing up was a lie. Now that's very amazing because, or actually it's very scary for people because they don't want to be willing to admit that. Because we just like being comfortable, right? And, and I'm going to be very open and transparent with, with all of you tonight. And in fact, I believe that the stuff, the things that I'm going to be sharing will make you ask more questions. And you'll be, what about this? What about that? What about that? Because I'm going to be tackling some issues that I think are most very foundational for a lot of people. And I'm going to try to question some of those doctrines, some of those teachings. But this is my point, is that your, our lives are a journey where truth and God always stays the same, but we continue to change. And I've been on this journey for many years of, of being a Christian, of having to believe certain things wholeheartedly. And then after many years, I've had to admit that I was wrong. So here's the thing, folks. What I've noticed throughout the years being a minister, and I've been, and I've been serving in the ministry since I was 17 years old, and as I've been going from church to church, I've been able, I've been blessed to travel around the U.S. and in some parts of Asia. And I've been able to see that Christians have a huge struggle. And what do I mean? <clears throat> Among many Christians is that there's a tension between their mind and their heart. Okay, I'm going to say that again. There's a huge conflict with many Christians is that there's a tension here with their mind, what they believe up here in their head and what they actually believe in their heart. That there are many Christians who say they believe certain things about Christianity, about God, because that's what they've been taught. But deep down, what they believe in their heart is very different, but they don't want to admit it. I'm guilty of that. And what I'm trying to do tonight is that I'm going to try to keep the gospel very simple and that I believe that what everything that I'm going to be saying actually makes a lot of sense here. That it's just going to be very natural for you. When you're hearing my voice, I'm going to be telling you about Jesus Christ and the good news. You're going to be like, that makes sense, that makes sense. But up here in your head, you're going to say, no, I wasn't taught that. Even as a Catholic or Protestant, born again, whatever you call it here in the Philippines, right? What if we got it wrong? What if? Scary for many Christians. And I've noticed, especially here in this country, at times, we're afraid of questioning because of the authority, right, that we have in our culture, when many times that's why people can abuse their authority because their members or their congregation are not willing to question. 
or speak up. They're willing to question here, but they're not willing to speak up and to say something about it. And so now you know why I get in trouble here in the Philippines, right? Because what I want, what I want to do is that I want to get to the core of what really is the good news. And from what I've been taught in the church, from pastors, what I've heard growing up, it's not good news. In fact, many times I would go from service to service and then I would go home and I would end up feeling worse because I, I would end up feeling like I'm not good enough, like I'm not serving enough, like I'm not pleasing God enough, like I'm not reading my Bible enough, and I get very, very tired. Can you guys agree? Yeah. <laughs> Some of us are way too scared to admit that, right? <clears throat> Folks, the gospel is very simple. And what many people have done, including myself in the past, is that we've complicated the gospel. And I believe that the gospel is so simple, I could go out to one of the kids on the street and they would understand the love of God, the true gospel. But many times we have this whole version of this is the gospel, God's like this, you're like that, you're separated from God. And we complicate the gospel and we, we teach things that we know deep down in our hearts, it's not true. Now, I am very encouraged that more and more people are getting hold, a hold of what is called the radical grace message, right? Are you familiar with that language, radical grace message? Now, I'm aware that once you start getting into this radical grace message that emphasizes on the finished work of Christ, right? The finished work of Christ, all of a sudden, there'll be all these other Christians that will be attacking you, saying you're going too far, that you're becoming extreme. That's extreme grace. Here's what I think. That there's a lot of grace teachings out there that I've seen. That they're preaching about the finished work of Christ. And personally, I believe they haven't gone far enough. So if you think that what you've heard is already radical, let me mess with your minds a little bit more. Okay, let me challenge you a little bit in your heart. And I can almost guarantee you it makes sense here. It'll really make sense here. And that's the thing. You know, my wife went to Smoky Mountain a couple months ago. And she helped out at the relief effort, you know, for that, the typhoon that hit, what, a couple weeks ago, a month ago. Do you think those children that, are, that lost their homes or they grew up in poverty, do you think they understand the radical grace message? But imagine if you're only saved if you believe in the radical grace message. I've had many people ask me, Josh, you know, we've had these transitions from legalism to grace, but we've always believed in God, but were we only saved when we believed in radical grace? Do you see the question, where it's coming from? Imagine if you were only saved by believing a particular doctrine or a teaching called a radical grace message, majority of you weren't even saved until maybe four years ago. And if you didn't believe in the radical grace message and you didn't believe in the right <coughs> gospel or the true doctrine, you'll be going to hell. You see how scary it is when we emphasize belief, 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 belief? Now here's where I really appreciate a lot of the grace teachings out there is that I do believe they've taken it a step further. What do I mean? That before, Date, you'll notice that among a lot of what we call evangelical Christians, even in America, they would say, you are saved by 
faith. Of course, grace through faith, but you still have to do something in order to become holy and righteous and pleasing to God and forgiven, etc., etc., right? Now, the grace preachers took it a step further. It's a big step, and I applaud them for that. They took it a step further, and they said, no, 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 no. You don't have to do any of those things to become holy or righteous or pleasing to God. All you have to do is believe. And when you believe, you receive his righteousness, you receive his holiness, you receive his forgiveness. But before that, you're not holy, you're not forgiven, and you're not righteous. If that's the case, can we all admit that even just 15 years ago, majority of us didn't believe that we had the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ? <laughs> that's me. So were you not holy? Were you not righteous then? Because you didn't believe it. Right? And so that's the issue, is that a lot of people before, they'll say you have to do in order to become. Grace preachers took it a step further where you have to believe in order to become. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. That is not the gospel. See, because you're still having to do something, you still have to believe just right in order to become holy and pleasing and righteous in God's eyes. How many of I've seen this all over Facebook. A lot of people are into the grace message to say, Jesus plus nothing, Jesus plus nothing. Have you heard of that? Here's what I've noticed. When people say Jesus plus nothing because they're getting into this radical grace message, I'll say, look a little closer in what you're teaching. You're not teaching Jesus plus nothing. You're teaching Jesus plus belief equals holiness and righteousness and forgiveness. Are you seeing what I'm saying? If your salvation was totally dependent upon how you believe, here's what I would like to do with a lot of these preachers, grace preachers or even non-grace preachers that are so focused on believing or doing. I would like to take all these preachers that are focusing on belief in order to become, right? I would like them to take them to a mental asylum where there's a lot of crazy people here in Mandaluyo. Right, you take them to the crazy house, or I'll take them to a bunch of people that are in comas, or I'll take them to a bunch of babies, or I'll take them to a bunch of people that are mentally retarded, and now you try preaching your good news message about how you have to believe in order to become, and you tell me if that's good news. And that's the thing, folks. I'm not against believing. Believing is very important. That's why we have faith. But is it where you have to believe in order to become? That's a different story. And that's what I'm willing to challenge tonight. And I praise God that the pastors are open enough to allow me to share. Folks, what I like about what I'm seeing now in this community, this is how I know your community will grow. Because your leaders will be humble enough to say, you know what? We're still learning. We're still growing. But imagine you have the same fixed doctrine for 20 years because you just, you're comfortable. But deep down you know this is not getting anywhere. And it's not helping people, and neither is it setting them free, right? And so if, if, if what I'm going to be sharing tonight is true, it will, I believe it will radically affect the way you read your Bible from now on, and it will radically shift the way you see other people who have a different religion. Oh, that's scary for many Christians. They don't like seeing people of other religions on the same footing as them, right? We're the special group, Diba. 
We're the ones going to heaven, right? And the rest is going to burn for hundreds of years? No. Thousands of years? No. Millions? No. Billions? No. Forever. Now you tell me how is that the good news? Oh, you have to believe in Jesus, Josh. I don't deny that. But look how many uh, denominations that we have that believe in Jesus Christ. We have 30,000 plus denominations and sects, groups, that some of them believe that they're the only group that's going to heaven. You see how complicated we've made the gospel? You see how complicated we've made it on how you have to believe in Jesus? Which Jesus? The angry Jesus? Or the forgiving Jesus? That even Christians are debating with each other the way Jesus is lying. I could pull aside maybe five people from the room. I'll say, please explain to me Jesus Christ, his divine nature, his human nature, his incarnation. I want you also to explain to me the atonement. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to get five different answers. Who's saved now? Because these five Christians can't even agree with each other. Or does your salvation have nothing to do with you believing and have everything to do with Christ? Oh, that's a huge shift. Now, with that being said, how many of you, and I'd like for you to raise your hand, and don't worry, I'm pretty sure almost everyone will raise their hands. How many of you have experienced rejection before? Raise your hand. Okay. And if some of you don't remember, how many of you probably have experienced rejection from your dad or your mom? Like maybe your parents were there in the home but they're not really there for you, right? And then you feel like you, you always have to prove something to your parents because you, want, you don't want to feel rejected by them. Right? And some of us, we've experienced rejection from our spouses, maybe. Or maybe one day your spouse wakes up and says, I don't want to be with you anymore. I found somebody else. Oh, that hurts. Some of us, We've experienced rejection at school with some of our barcadas, some of our groups, right? Where you have to try to do something in order to fit in. You have to dress like them, you have to talk like them, and then you belong to them, right? And I could keep going on and on and on. And some of us probably even think, in a sense, that God has even rejected you because of the current situation that you're in. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you're struggling emotionally or physically. And in some sense, you actually believe, God, are you even there? Are you there? Now, since from what I've noticed, I think everybody raised their hand. How did that rejection make you feel? Good? Very bad. In fact... Some of us, when I mentioned about our dad, some of us probably had bad memories of our dad who wasn't there for us or our mom or whoever. And why is it that this rejection hurts us so much that even to this day, you're still scarred? Like if you just think about it, oh, it hurts. Why? And isn't it interesting that some of us, we try to spend our entire lives trying to find approval from people you know, there are sometimes people within your group, your barcada, where you actually know people. They're people pleasers because they just want to fit in. They're trying to get your approval somehow. Why? And I think here's the answer. 
of why rejection hurts us so much? And I think the answer is this. It's that we were not made for rejection. Instead, you were made for acceptance. You were made to be accepted. You were made to belong. Amen? Now, let me confuse you right now. I want you to imagine that there's an orphan. And then you go up to this orphan, or I go up to this orphan, and I say, you know what? You have no mom, and you have no dad. Nobody wants you. I don't even want you. If you tell that to a little orphan, how will that orphan feel, good or bad? Bad. Here's a very important question. Is that love? Yes? No? How do you know? Because you read it in the Bible somewhere? Because a pastor told you that's not love? Or do you just know deep down inside of your heart, intuitively, that that's not love? You just know it, right? That's very common sense. Now imagine I go up to another orphan and I say, I love you if you love me back. I accept you if you accept me. And if you reject me, I'm going to reject you and be angry at you for the rest of your life. In other words, you don't belong to me unless you do something. Now, if I said that to an orphan, is that good or bad? It's bad. Is that love? Because a Bible verse told you or you just know it? You just know it. But here's a confusion from what I can see. Almost every one of you in this room, I see you nodding your head when you're, when you're saying, oh, you know, when you know that this is not love, you're, you're, you're moving, shaking your head like this. But if that's not love, here's a confusing part. Why do many Christians describe God like that? What do I mean? In many ways that we've been taught within the church, God is like this. I love you if you love me back. I'll only accept you, but you first have to accept me into your heart first as your personal Lord and Savior, and then I'll accept you. And if you reject me, I'm not just going to reject you. I'm going to be angry at you, and I'm going to have my wrath against you for the rest of your life called hell, right? In other words, God says, you don't belong to me unless you do something. And what's the doing? You have to acknowledge, and then you confess, and then you repent, and then you have faith and you believe. Once you do those things, and then you belong to God. Oh, but but wait a minute. Isn't that interesting that earlier with those orphan illustrations, you knew deep down that that's conditional love, and that's not real love at all. Because love is not conditional. Love is unconditional. So how do we reconcile that? Now, am I against acknowledging, confessing, repenting, or believing? No, I'm not against that. But here's the huge difference. Is acknowledging, confessing, repenting, and believing, are those things requirements in order for you to be accepted and included and loved by God? Or, listen, here's a big difference, or are those things simply responses? of knowing that you are already accepted and you are already loved and included by God.
You see the difference, folks? Whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. Whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. And whatever you believe about God, that will ultimately live out in your life. And if you think that God's love is conditional, then you will spend your entire life trying to earn His acceptance and His approval. Is this making sense so far, folks? Isn't it time we start challenging the gospel that we've been taught? Right? So here's the thing. People will say, Josh, well, you know, okay, nice illustration with the orphans, and we can get that. Yeah, we know God, you know, your, your love is not supposed to be conditional. It's supposed to be unconditional. But, you know, maybe God's love is so big that you just you can't comprehend it, and it's just it's a mystery, Josh. Maybe you just can't understand God's love. I mean, maybe some of us have thought like that. You just can't understand it, right? If that's true, that God's love cannot be understood, at least apprehended. I understand that you can't totally comprehend it, right? But at least you can apprehend it to some degree. If God's love is a mystery that you cannot understand, then here's my question. How would you even know what love is? If God's love is a mystery... Doesn't the Bible say that God is love? And doesn't the Bible say that we are to love others the way God loves us? And if God loves us conditionally, guess on how we would be treating people now? Parents. I'm sure there are parents here and some of your kids are here. Would you tell your child, I love you only if you love me? Or accept you? Do you, love your, do you only accept your children when they accept you? Do you only love your children when they obey you or they have the right belief or perception about you? Or do you just love them? Now, some parents will reject their children, right? It happens in broken homes. But we know deep down that that's not love. We know deep down that God's love is unconditional, whether you believe in it or not. See, I love my wife. They were asking me earlier when we got married, if I love my wife unconditionally and she doesn't believe it, does that change the fact that I love my wife unconditionally? But imagine if it did. It depends upon you believing it in order for it to be real. Oh, that's sad. Because you have to get your doctrine right in order to be loved by God. Wow. Now, here's what I want to tell you now. I want to tell you the truth. That right now, at this very moment, in spite of what you've done in the past, you are accepted by God. Now. Right? You can put me to clap to that, right? Why? Because that's love. What if somebody doesn't ask Jesus into his heart? Is he still accepted by God? Yes! That's the amazing thing about God's love. I could go to a, a drug addict on the streets who was abandoned by his family and say, you know what? Everybody left you. No one accepts you. God accepts you. That's the good news. 
Or do I go up to a drug addict on the street and say, hey, you know what? You want Christ to come into your life? He's not going to come in until you receive him and you acknowledge and you confess and you believe and you have faith in him. And then he'll come into your heart. That's not good news. Because we're still struggling. What does the word believe mean? <laughs> Christians don't even know how to agree on what the word repentance mean. So how complicated do we want it to be? You and every single person in this room and all over the world are unconditionally loved and accepted by God. You belong to God. You belong to Him. Not because of what you've done, but because of who He is. God is love. Now, why is that hard for some of us to believe? Like I said, it's very easy to understand here. Oh, yeah, amen. That's love. But it's very hard <laughs> to understand it here because we've been so, we got out, we moved away from the whole, okay, I don't have to do anything, right? But we, some of us were still stuck on the believing though. The believing has to get you to be accepted by God. Once you believe in him, now you're adopted, now you're accepted, now he's your father. Now you're not just his creation, you're his child now. No. Folks, we're not trying to change the way God is. God was always the same. And people think that you're under this column where you're, God's angry at you, you're his creation, he's not your father, he's just your creator. And then once you do all these things of acknowledging and confessing and repenting, you move, you move over to this column, and God all of a sudden, he's your father, he loves you, you're accepted, you're included, you're adopted by God. Here's what I'm telling you, the good news was you were always here. But you thought that you were here. Because of the lies in your mind, because of the lies of religion that told you that God doesn't like you, that God is disappointed with you, that God is angry at you, that you're not doing enough to serve God. That's religion. And that's why many people leave the church or they leave the faith because they get so burnt out. Say, I can't do this anymore. It's harder. It's like you tell us about this unconditional love of God before we become a Christian, but once you become a Christian, there's all these rules. Folks, God's love never changed. We changed. Now, let, I want to tell you God's dream. I want to tell you a story, God's plan, that God had this bigger purpose, this bigger plan, this bigger story that God had for all of us. Because if, the moment I say Jesus Christ, what comes to your mind? The cross. Now, I'm not saying the cross is not important, but isn't it interesting that the moment we say Jesus, we're thinking of his death on the cross for us. Did you know that that death and resurrection on the cross was just part of this bigger plan that God had, this bigger picture that God had? And in fact, this plan was even decided even before you were born. In fact, this plan, this purpose was decided even before the foundation of the world. Let's open up our Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 4. For he chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. A better translation says in him. In love he predestined us to be adopted. 
as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and with his will. Here's God's bigger plan, folks, that even before you were born, even before the foundation of the world, the Father, Son, and the Spirit eternally decided that you and me and the rest of this world would be included in their life and their fellowship. It's amazing. Folks, we've all experienced this before, or many of us, when you're in school, and then you're trying to fit in, and you're trying to belong. Imagine if someone just went up to you and said, hey, you don't have to do anything, I accept you. That's love, folks. Is our love greater than God's? Where God won't accept us? Oh, I'm not his son until I believe I'm his son. Folks, do you see how ridiculous that even sounds? I'm not God's son until I believe I'm his son? You're a son whether, or a daughter whether you believe it or not. <laughs> Your belief doesn't change that reality. Now I want us to think about this. If none of us were created, not just us, but this whole world, if, if people weren't created, would there still be such thing as love? Yes or no? Yes? No? Okay. Because you need someone to express his love, and you need someone to receive the love, and to reciprocate the love, etc., etc., right? So if there is no love, if, if there is no people, would there still be love? Yes. Do you know why? Because even before we were born, there was a fellowship and love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit where they had this unbroken and intimate fellowship where they shared absolutely everything and they decided that you and me and everyone else would be included in their fellowship. Where here's this fellowship, this dance with the Father, Son, and Spirit and our life is being included in this dance. Doesn't that make the Christian life sound even better instead of a bunch of rules? But now you're participating in this divine dance with the Father, Son, and the Spirit who included you, who adopted you before you even did anything because that's just what love does. They'll say, you belong to me. Amen? I'm going to challenge one of the biggest lies that I think is being taught in the church today that I think this might be kind of new, so I'm going to ask that you pay attention. One of the biggest lies being taught in the church today is this, that you were once or you are separated from God. That some of us will actually believe now as Christians you can still be separated from God. Other Christians will say, no, before you were a Christian, that's when you were separated from God. But when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, now he's inside of you. You get that? At least this is what we've been growing up with. I was doing a teaching the other day with some people. And this person said, I asked this person, when did you get saved? It's a tricky question though that I was trying to ask him. And then he said, well, I found Christ, and Christ came into my life when blah, 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 age. He told me his age. And then I just responded to him saying, so you're saying Christ wasn't in your life even before that? How do you think you even got to that point? As if Christ was not there, and then you ask him into your heart, now he's there all of a sudden? Folks, you didn't find Christ. Christ found you. 
Christ already found you before you found him. He's not waiting for you. Before he goes to you, he went to you already. He pursued you. Just like a shepherd to his sheep. When one of them is lost, he'll go get them. That's the heart of a father. That's unconditional love exemplified in Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to think about this, this, if this is true. Is it even possible? Answer this question for me. Can you be in a place where God is not? Let me say that again. Can you be in a place where God is not? No. So how can you ever be separated from God? (laughs) How many of you have seen the illustration of the two cliffs? Where there's one cliff here, and there's one cliff here, but in between these two cliffs is a huge gap. There's a huge chasm, right? Where you're separated from God because of your sin. So here's you. You're corrupt. You're dirty. You're sinful. And here's God on the other side of the the cliff, separated from you because he's holy and he can't even look upon sin. You know, folks, we're hearing all these illustrations. We never even question it. It, isn't that kind of sad if that's true? That here's you, that you're, you're dirty, and God can't even look at you because you're dirty. What does that say about the love of our Father who, who's so full of grace? He can't even look upon you because of your sin. Wow. You, you see this, folks? And now, and, and what, what, what does God do because He loves us, according to this illustration? God sends His Son to what? Become this bridge. So you'll see this big cross right in the middle. But here's a problem. Even though there's this big cross that was provided for you, you still have to cross over. You're still not with God. You're still here. So you have to climb these steps. You have to acknowledge, and you confess, and then you repent, and then you believe. Now you're here with God because you took all of these steps. Folks, if God is here, and you're here. You know what this says? If this illustration were true, you would be a God. Do you know why? Because all of a sudden, God's here, you're here, you can exist apart from God. In other words, you're self-existed. Okay, I'm not trying to be too philosophical here, but I hope you're getting the gist of what I'm saying. Right? Or how do people describe hell? Hell is eternal separation from God. Folks, if hell is eternal separation from God, then hell would be a God too, because hell could exist apart from God. Folks, no one and no thing can exist apart from God because in Christ, He sustains everything. Even in the depths, David says, you are there. You cannot hide from God. You cannot be separated from God. (laughs) Do you see this, folks, about we, we, we follow these illustrations? And whether you know this or not, you know that illustration, it's actually pagan. It's not Christian. It's more platonic, okay, for some of us that have a background in philosophy. It's more platonic. It's more Greek. It's not Hebrew thinking. Where I'm here, God's here. And you're not in union with Him until you do all these steps. Folks, you were never separated from God. Oh, but wait a minute. The Bible does say in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, now I know this is a New Covenant church, you guys focus on the New Covenant. So there's a verse in the New Testament that says that you were separated 
and, or you are alienated enemies of God in the New Testament. And guess where it's found? Colossians 1.21. But guess what it says? Is that you are alienated or separated and enemies of God where? In your minds. In your minds. You could read it there. Okay, and some translations are better than others, but it was talking about how you are separated and alienated from God. Not a literal separation, but you're separated in your mind. You thought God was far from you. You thought he was angry at you. You thought he was disappointed with you. You thought he was against you. You thought that you were enemies, but the Bible says that's all in your mind. You were always his child. Always his child. But because of our mistakes, because of our bad behaviors, or what you call sin, it blinds us. And we project that brokenness, that anxiety, we project it unto God. Diba? Right? Some of us, when we do something bad, we get embarrassed. We don't even want to talk to God for the rest of the day. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden you think, oh my gosh, I'm a Christian. God's probably very upset at me. I can't even talk to God. I'll wait till tomorrow morning. That's like me. Right? Or I go somewhere. When I was a teenager, I would go to a place I'm not supposed to go to, and then I drive home. I don't talk to God at all because I'm too ashamed. Because I think God is so disappointed in me that it's like God doesn't even want to look at me because I'm such a letdown or a failure. And I'm telling you, folks, that is not the God revealed in Jesus Christ. That is the God in our minds. That you are never separated from Him. It's all lies. Separation is an illusion. It's an illusion. Now you could just, I don't know if you've heard this before, but just yell it out, the first thing that comes into your mind. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? Yell it out. One. <laughs> I know you're doing that as a joke. <laughs> what? How many sins does it take to be a sinner? One? Zero. Why? Did you... When was the last time you asked Adam into your heart as your personal condemner in order to be a sinner? Did anybody do that? No. You didn't do anything to become a sinner. You didn't have to even believe that you were a sinner. You were simply born a sinner. Now, what must you do? in order to be holy and righteous and pleasing. Typical Christians will say, you have to live well. You have to live a righteous life. You have to obey the law. And then other grace preachers will say, you don't have to do any of that. You have to believe. And I'm still saying, no, 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 no. Take it a step further. You don't even have to believe in order to become those things. Because if you have to do something, whether it's good works or belief, then Adam's work is greater than Jesus Christ. What Christians like to do is they like to make Adam, as, my, as this one guy from a perichoresis ministry says, Bruce Wachopi, he put it like this. People like making Adam very big and Jesus very small. Because with Adam's work, when he ate from the, the, the tree, it affected the whole world and everyone had no choice. You were affected whether you believed in it or not. But then all of a sudden, God in Christ, who's very smart because he's God, comes in Christ, dies on the cross, to try to save their whole world, but yet only a few make it because they didn't believe just right. 
Are you, are you getting the logic of what I'm saying? Folks, we're making Adam very big and Jesus very small. Really? So no one is affected by Christ until you believe? Oh man, some of us are still struggling with belief even to this day and we're already 40 years old or 50 years old. So when did I really become righteous then? If it's based upon me believing the radical grace message. And what you're going to see in Romans chapter 5, there's going to be a comparison between the universal work of Adam and the universal work of Christ. And you're going to see that in Adam was death and condemnation in Christ is what? Grace and righteousness. You're going to see a comparison between the two where it's going to say in Adam all, all, many, many, much more, much more. In Christ, the work of Christ was much more. But if the work of Christ was much more, then why are only a few people saved? Because they, they're the only ones on the planet that believe just right. Christ's work is much more, the Bible says. In fact, if Adam represented all of humanity, and Christ is called the last Adam, who represents all of humanity, and in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, in Adam, as in Adam, all die, so in Christ some will be made alive. All will be made alive. <laughs> it doesn't say when you believe. All. Folks, would you really call that a victory? Where God creates billions and billions of people. There's six billion plus on the planet. Adam messes it up for the whole world. No choice. Christ comes, dies on the cross, yet only a few make it. But yet the Bible calls his death on the cross a victory. What kind of victory is that? Oh, but Josh, at least some of them believe. Yeah, but the majority, billions, are damned and going to hell forever. It would have been better for them to not have been born at all. Right? Can we be honest with ourselves? If you only have 60 years to choose Christ the way you're supposed to in order to be saved, and you don't choose him just correctly, you don't have your theology perfectly worked out, you're going to be in hell forever. I'd rather not have been born. That's me. <laughs> if we are in union with God in Christ, and that we were never separated from him, whatever happened to Jesus happened to us. Right? Because we are in him. All of humanity, not some. Not those who confess and believe and repent. All of humanity. He's the last Adam. Whatever happened to Jesus, happened to us. So, now follow along. When Jesus died, what happened to all of humanity? All of humanity died with him. When Christ resurrected from the dead, what happened to all of humanity? All of humanity resurrected with him. And then when, he, when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, what happened to all of humanity? All of humanity ascended to the right hand of the Father, whether you believed it or not. And that's what I was struggling with when I was into the radical grace message, because I'm like, all right, so when did I actually die? And people say, it's when you believe. So, so really, before that, I was, a, you know, God is against me, and I'm not his child, all of a sudden, all those things. And then when I believe, oh, then I died, then I rose with him. Or did that happen 2,000 years ago in Christ? So Josh, what are you saying? If everybody rose with Christ at the resurrection, are you saying that everybody is born again? Yes. Yes. You guys familiar with that term born again? Yeah? 
You want me to prove it to you? Look at 1 Peter 1.3. What does 1 Peter 1.3 say? It'll probably be on the screen. I'm not sure which translation you're going to have. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy who has given us a what? A new birth when you believed? Or through what? Through the resurrection. Let me give you a better translation because that's just the NIV. Like in my Bible, another translation says this. God caused us. Caused. God caused us to be born again through the resurrection. When he died, we died. When he resurrected, we resurrected. When he ascended, we ascended. That's called the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's finished. For only those who believe. Oh, wait, what, what does the Bible say? Jesus is a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of those who believe just right. Jesus is a Lamb of God to those who confess their sins. Jesus is a Lamb of God who, to those who only repent. No, what does the Bible say? Jesus is a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the curl. That's why he undid the work of Adam. His work was greater. It's not dependent upon whether you believe in it or not. It's the truth, whether you believe in it or not. That's the good news. That's why it's called the finished work of Christ. Because even grace preachers can't even, can't even agree with each other. Here's what I mean. One grace preacher will say, everybody's reconciled, but not everybody's saved. Another grace preacher will say, no, everyone's forgiven, but not everybody is righteous until you believe. Another grace preacher says, nobody's forgiven until you believe. Another grace preacher says, nobody's reconciled until you believe. Who are you going to believe now? The grace preachers can't even agree with each other. But what does the Bible say? Romans chapter 5 says that God reconciled us to himself. When? When we believed and when we repented? No. Romans 5 says that God reconciled us to himself when we were still sinners, when we were still powerless, and when we were still his enemies. Folks, this is the good news. But what we like to do, we would like to chop it up. No, you're not forgiven until you do that. No, you're not reconciled until you do that. Folks, this is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. I did it. I undid what Adam did to all of humanity. And my work is greater. And the work that I did, Christ is saying, please the Father, because I redeemed all of humanity and undid the works of what Adam did. <laughs> Like I said, you were reconciled when you were still enemies, powerless, and sinners. You had no choice. Oh, but Josh, what about your free will? Your free will is this. Now that you've been redeemed and reconciled, you have a choice whether or not you want to participate with God now. I've had people say, Josh is preaching a message where it's like God is raping people because you have no choice. He just gave everybody new life. Hello, do any of us tell that to our moms? Who's given us birth? Mom, you didn't give me a choice to be on this earth. You violated my free will. <laughs> no, your mom and dad just made you. And in fact, that's what Christ did. He, he took fallen humanity, buried it, resurrected, and gave us new life. Without our permission. And we should be very thankful for that. So yes, you have a choice, but it's not to become saved. But it's whether or not you want to recognize a God who saved you. You see, because I was taught the gospel like this. 
when you're drowning in the ocean of your sin, then God, because he loves you, he throws you a lifesaver. You guys know what a lifesaver is, right? He throws you a lifesaver in the ocean, but because you have a free will, you have a choice. Jesus is your lifesaver. You have a choice to grab onto that lifesaver. That's how we present the gospel, right? You have that choice. Salvation is merely provided for. That's the way it is, right? No, let me tell you the real gospel. The real gospel is that you are drowning in your sin. You are blind. You are lost. God jumped in. He saved you. And now it's your choice whether or not you want to wake up and you want to thank the one who saved you. You see, because a gospel, folks, it's not an invitation. We preach it like it's an invitation. It's not an invitation. It's a declaration saying it is done. It is finished. Believe the good news. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's already there in your heart. It's just your choice whether or not you want to realize that and wake up. But he's always been there. Wow. See, what people have done, which I think is a huge mistake, is that they've taken the term born again in John chapter 3 with the story of Nicodemus. You're familiar with that story? What must I do to enter the, to see the kingdom of God? Jesus says you must be born again. So what Christians have done throughout history, they've taken that term born again and they said, okay, whatever you ask Jesus into your heart, now you're saved and now you're born again. Boom, that's when you're born again. The Bible doesn't say that, folks. When were you born again? 2,000 years ago when Christ died for the whole world. You were risen with him. Now, when you ask Christ into your heart, whatever plus years ago, whatever it may be, I don't deny that you experienced something. Some people have said, oh, 20 years ago, I asked Christ into my heart at a gathering and I felt so much love. I don't deny that. That's called the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Your experience was real, but your understanding of it is pagan. (laughs) Do you see that, folks? Because Christ was always in you. Always. So it's very real. And that's why we see, look, folks, check this out. The Bible even says, God is a savior of all men, not some. 1 Timothy 4.10. God is a savior of all men to those who believe. That's what we would think it would say. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.10, God is a savior of all men, especially to those who believe. Why? Because he objectively saved the whole world. But you'll experience that reality when you start to believe. Let me break it down for you. There's this objective reality and a subjective experience. The objective reality, Christ saved the whole world. Subjective experience is when you believe. If I love my wife unconditionally, that's an objective reality. She doesn't have to believe it. But when she believes that reality, what happens to her? She starts to experience Folks, Christ did not potentially save you. How silly does that sound? <laughs> he did, if you're drowning, here, here's a lifesaver. He doesn't potentially save you. Christ saved you. Believe the good news. <laughs> Is this a stretch? <laughs> okay. Praise God. So I hope this is challenging some of us. And folks, it's okay to wrestle with these things because imagine if what I'm saying is true, you're okay. 
because you're saved. But if what, what I'm saying is not true, and it's dependent upon your theological belief of how you understand the finished word, you're not safe. Because you better make sure you got your doctrine right in order to be saved and not go to hell for all eternity. <laughs> you see, I'm not here to use fear to get people to believe. I'm here to use love to awaken the love in your heart because God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And what is repentance? It's a change of mind. God never changed. We change our mind. So what is the difference between a believer and unbeliever? If the whole world is already saved. Boy, Josh, the whole world is already saved. Oh man, everyone is scared of that statement. It's as if we want people to go to hell because they're not Christians like us. Now in the ultimate sense, there is no such thing as an unbeliever in the sense that everybody believes something, Diva. But there's another sense that there are those who believe in Christ and those who don't believe in Christ, explicitly. So what's the difference? On common ground, believer and unbeliever, they're both saved. That's a given. Let me share this with you before I move on to that point, before I forget. If everybody is saved, why preach the good news? Oh, I've had people, so many people ask me that. You see, folks, here, here's the thing. You look at Acts chapter 17. How, it's a long chapter, so you don't have to put it on the screen. It's up to you. In Acts chapter 17, you'll, you'll know this verse. We've all heard it before. Paul goes up to a group of people and says, In him we live, we move, we have our being. We've heard that verse, right? Guess who was, who was he saying that to? Was he saying that to Christians? Greek pagans. Pagans. Listen to that verse again. In him we live, we live, we move, we have our being. Then it goes on a little bit after it says, aren't we all his offspring, his children? He said that to non-Christians. We're all God's children. Oh, wow, but my mentality a couple years ago was, well, now that Muslim, he's not my brother because he's not a Christian. He's not saved. I, I have Christ. He doesn't. In him we live, we move, we have our being, and we are his offspring. He said that to pagans. And guess what? These people were worshiping. Well, there was inscribed, there was what? An unknown God. Some of us know this story. There was an inscription of an unknown God. Now, what did Paul say to these people who were worshiping this unknown God? Did Paul go up to these people worshiping this unknown God and say, Hey, you're believing the wrong God, all of you, right now, you're all going to hell forever. Did he say that? What did Paul say? The one that you're calling the unknown God, let me declare him to you now. He's telling them his name, Jesus Christ. So why preach the gospel if everyone's already saved? It's the same reason why Jesus, when he appeared to Paul, right? He commissioned Paul to go to who? The Gentiles. And what did Jesus tell Paul to do when he went to the Gentiles? Did he say, Paul? I want you to, to go convert everybody and make them born again and ask me into their hearts. No. What did Jesus commission Paul to do? I want you to open their eyes. Why? Because God is already in them. It's like you wake up when, when you were in Christ, even before 
you became born again the way we understand it. You were already born again in, in Christ. When you asked Christ into your heart, all you did is that you finally woke up. He was already in you. That's why even when you're a child, you feel God's love. But you don't understand the gospel the way you understand it now, but you knew God was always there. And now you just came to a fuller understanding of, of his grace and of his love. See, because the difference between unbeliever and believer is not that we're in, we're in we, we really need to get rid of this language, folks, that we're in and the rest of the world is out. In Christ, Christ embraced all of humanity, all. Because that's who God is. Answer me this question. Why is it that many unbelievers know how to love better than believers? Have you ever noticed that some unbelievers have better marriages than believers? Oh man, I could tell you a lot of stories of people at my church in America cheating on their spouses. And then I could meet another couple that's not Christian, but yet they're faithful to each other forever. Why? Why is it that some unbelievers know how to give more to the poor than some Christians? Why is it that you can notice that some unbelievers are even better parents than some Christian parents? Why? Because God is in everybody. God is in everybody. In fact, John chapter 1 says this. It calls Jesus the word and it calls Jesus the light. The light shines everywhere. Now notice this too. This is very interesting. The light shines even in the darkness. Oh, that's a weird verse. The light shines in... How does that work? If the light shines in the darkness, and ultimately there's no darkness, the only time there's darkness is when what? You close your eyes. And you're blinded by the lies of separation. God's angry at you and all those things. And you choose to live according to your own vision and your own will. But when you open your eyes to the goodness of God, you won't be forced to love God. You're just responding because we love Him because now we already recognize that He first loved us. Ooh. Folks, if your belief system is what determines if you're saved, many of your relatives are in hell right now. You will have no security when you're trying to manipulate that person on the deathbed to get them to say the sinner's prayer. Hello, right? We've done that. Oh, did they, oh, they didn't receive Christ. They're about to die. You have to manipulate. Just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Boom, now Christ is in them. They're adopted. They're included. They're loved by God. Or was it this whole time those people who rejected God were not rejecting the true God, but they were rejecting the God that they were taught by the church? They were rejecting the God that was angry and judgmental and impatient. I'm telling you folks, I, every time I preach this message, even when I was in Cebu last week, people were even saying, man, if I tell this to my atheist friend, this is good news. To my atheist friend. In fact, this popped in my head two nights ago. Someone messaged me, said that he gave my video to an atheist. An atheist said, this is good news. And now this atheist is starting to believe in God. I'm telling you folks, you have so much security 
knowing that your loved ones are in the hands of the Father. And He will deal with them accordingly. How is the afterlife going to look like? We can debate about that. But like I'm saying, if your salvation is solely dependent upon you believing the, the, the gospel just right, oh, you'll have no security of your lost loved one. Many of them, especially we judge the Roman Catholics, right? We say, oh, it's Mother Mary, you know, there's living by good works. Hello, many of us who were in the Protestant church live by good works too until we got into the grace message. So when were you saved? <laughs> and we accuse people for living in legalism when you could find many Christians living in legalism too. We just don't call it the Mother Mary. We don't call it the rosary. We call it devotionals. If I don't read my Bible today, God's not going to bless me today. Look, folks, that's called law. Oh, folks, this is the goodness of God. That God has given everybody new life. And I know this is going to be kind of a shocker when I say this. It was never about establishing one right religion. Okay, let me say that again. It was never about establishing one right religion. Did Christ come to bring religion? No, in fact, in my opinion, he came to destroy religion. I don't think Jesus said, hey guys, when I go to heaven, I want you to name a religion after me called Christianity. What's funny, folks, is, about, is look at all the Christians that can't even agree with each other. There's this church here, you'll find another church down the street that's more conservative. You'll find a Pentecostal, then you find conservative, then you find Presbyterian. We can't even agree with each other. It's not about a right religion. Christ came to reveal the heart of the Father. And there are many people that are in other faiths, I believe, that are worshiping a being, and they don't really know that his name is Jesus Christ. But they're calling it another name. But yet we're so quick to damn them to hell. When we look here of these people worshiping an unknown God, and Paul said, let me tell you his name now. Folks, there's this story. One of my favorite stories is by Tony Campolo. He's a well-known evangelical uh, guy in the States. He has a friend who is a Baptist missionary who went to China, and then he met a Buddhist monk. Now, do Buddhists believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, from what we know, right? They're not. They're not Christians. This Baptist missionary goes to China. He meets a Buddhist monk. He opens up the Bible to him, starts sharing to this Buddhist monk about the ways of Jesus Christ. And as he's sharing, the Buddhist monk just starts weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. So the Baptist missionary stops. He says, okay, do you want to accept Christ as your savior now? You know what the Buddhist monk said? Accept him as my savior. I've always known this Jesus. You just told me his name. And you told me about his resurrection. And you told me about his death. And while you were speaking and sharing to me, I kept hearing his spirit within me kept saying, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me. Folks, God is alive and well in many people and in many places we can't even imagine. And that's why I look at many people now of other faiths and I look at them and I see God in them now. I'm not saying believe whatever you want. We have to believe the truth. But just like a Muslim has false beliefs, so do you as a Christian. And it's all about a journey in this life of learning and unlearning, learning and unlearning and discovering the true heart of our Father. And many Buddhists understand love more than Christians. Just look at these people who live in peace when us Christians in America want to bomb other people. 
who don't believe exactly the way we do. You tell me who's exemplifying more of love. Gandhi exemplified love more than Christians. Gandhi didn't have a problem with Jesus Christ. He says, it's the Christians that I'm having a problem with because they don't look like Jesus Christ. But yet he followed the Bible probably way more than many Christians. Folks, it's not about knowing the exact name, Jesus. Do I believe in Jesus? Absolutely. But if it's all about, you have to confess with your mouth. If you don't confess, you're not saved. What if you're born mute? (laughs) Or if you lost your voice? Are you not saved? I mean, if you want to take it literally, right? Folks, wherever there is love, there is God. And you'll find that in many humans that are Christian and non-Christian and atheist and agnostic. Whenever there is love, there is God, but many of them just don't know his name. And the gospel and the good news is to tell them his name, that they've been accepted and already included by the love of the Father. Is it shaking some of us? Okay. It's scary, right? It's scary for some of us, but it's also very liberating. Because some of us have to shift a lot of our preaching and theology now, right? As <laughs> it happens, right? And tell me, folks, I've been pre- are some of you familiar with our ministry? Yeah? Okay, what happens is that I've been preaching radical grace for maybe three or four years. Then I started getting this revelation. I'm like, oh my gosh. I took almost all of my sermons down from the internet. But you know how hard it is when you already have this ministry that's already internationally known and then people hear your great sermons and then you have another understanding of it now? Folks, I've had to humble myself. I redid my entire website. I took down my old sermons. And I said, you know, I'm willing to follow where I believe the truth is. Now, you don't have to follow this, what I'm sharing now. But I can almost guarantee by the looks on many of your guys, you know this makes sense. But it's the, the teachings that we've had growing up that teaches us otherwise. Right? And I'm telling you, God is already inside each and every individual that all they're doing is they're waking up from the lies. And I'm telling you, if we continue to teach that we're separated from God, I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons why there's so much evil in the world. Because we like this whole separation idea. I'm different from you. You look different from me. We're different. We're separate. We're in. You're out. God's for us, but he's against you. We're the right religion. You're the wrong religion. And you know, when we have the separation mentality where God is far, and we feel so abandoned, we feel like God is angry with us, we feel like we're not worth, we, we have no worth. You know what that does when you feel abandoned? It makes you do a lot of stupid things. But if you could tell somebody that God is already in them, I've had many Christians, Facebook, you guys know Facebook, right? Even the adult, some people, they message me on the internet, okay? They Facebook me and they say, Josh, I want to draw closer to God. What do I do? I feel so ashamed. If they only knew. The Bible says that you are in Him and He is in you and you are now seated at the right hand of the Father. How close do you want to get, folks? If you only knew the truth of who you are, that your believing doesn't get you to become, you already became because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. 
And we think of the story of the prodigal son. We're all familiar with that story. I like calling it the parable of the loving father because I think the focus more is better when you focus on the father. There was a man who had two sons. One of the sons goes off. He squanders his wealth. He gets prostitutes. He does a lot of dumb things. What happens? There's a famine in the country. He gets hungry and he starts starving. And he's, a pig, he's in a pig pen. So what does he do? He realizes that even his father's hired servants eat better than he does. So he says, you know what? I'm going to have a speech ready. I go back to my dad and apologize so I can eat better again. So while he's going back to his dad, what does the Bible say? While he was a long way off, the father saw him. And the father walked to his son. The father ran to his son, threw his arms around his son and kissed him. Did he just get him any rope? He gave him the best robe. He put sandals on his feet. He put a ring on his finger. He got the fattened calf and he killed it and they had a celebration. That is the heart of the father. Even after they messed up. It wasn't because he was obedient. This is, this is grace. And the other brother was just like religion. Father, how could you do that? I've been so obedient to you. And what did the father say? Son, don't you know that everything that I have is already yours? But your brother was dead. Now he's alive. Let's celebrate. And I believe that the true change, remember, he did not go to his dad because he was sorry. Why did he go to his dad when he was in the pig pen? It's because he was hungry. And when he was doing his speech, the father interrupted his speech. You'll read it. He interrupted his speech. They didn't even let him finish apologizing and lavished his son. That is the heart of the father. And I believe that the true change didn't happen in the pig pen. Because like I said, he just wanted to go back because he was hungry. The true change happened where? In the father's arms. When he already knew that he was already accepted and embraced by his father unconditionally. And that's why I could go to anybody, even if they reject Jesus Christ. I will say to those people, God will never reject you. Even if you don't want him, he will never reject you. But here's why I encourage people not to follow their lifestyles of doing stupid sins and all those things. It's not because of fear, but it's because you're going to mess up your life. You're going to hurt your family. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to have a lot of regrets. But I'm telling you, no matter what, you are unconditionally by God, unconditionally. And if you could just let that settle in your heart, that you're unconditionally loved, I'm telling you, that's when things will change. That's when things will change. Like your name is, your name is Esther, right? Your name? What is it? No, it's Esther. Esther, right? You see, you know what's going on in her mind? She says, this guy's crazy. I know who I am. I'm not going to listen to this guy. Right? And that's the thing, folks. If we just knew who we were in Christ, we would ignore all the lies of saying you're ugly, you're not going to make it, you're poor, you're never going to make it, your kids are going to starve, you're a nobody, you have no future. When you ignore all those lies and you say, shut up, I know who I am. I'm loved by God. I'm accepted by God. Even in my mistakes, God's grace superabounds in my life and I will get back up on my feet. And I will love God because he loved me first. You see, this is where I'll get a little bit more romantic or cheesy. Okay? Now, for some of us, 
Like there are times, even with me and my wife, or some of us with you husbands and wives, isn't it wives, I'll speak to the wives now, isn't it wives that there are moments when your husband won't say a word, but your husband will just look at you, and without even him saying I love you, or even saying anything, you look into his eyes, and all of a sudden you you sense your worth. You feel valued by your husband. He doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to buy you anything, but because you know on how he sees you that you are loved by him. Folks, if we could understand how the Father sees us now, whether we've messed up or not, that he sees you now, whether you believe in it or not, that you are holy, that you are righteous, you are pleasing to him. I'm telling you, then you will find yourself worth. If I have a thousand pesos, I drop it in the mud. If I pick it up, how much is it worth? Still worth the same thing. Just brush it off, clean it off. But many of us who have messed up or we have a past that we're so ashamed of, I'm telling you, you are not your past. You are not even your sin. That sin does not define you. God defines you. And you are his child. And isn't it interesting that if we think that we're the in-group and the rest of the world is lost, right? I want us to think about this. If the rest of the world is lost, if somebody is lost, what does that imply? It implies that the lost people have a home. They belong somewhere because they're lost. And they belong to someone. And when we preach the good news, we're speaking to a lost person and telling them that their home is with their father. That the father never left. In fact, when the son, the prodigal son, went back to the father, was the father no longer his father? Was the son no longer a son? And said, I can't believe you did all those things. You are no longer my son. Even in the midst of all of those mistakes, the son was still the son because his sonship wasn't based upon his performance. And just like whatever you do, it's not based upon your performance. You are still called son. You are still called daughter. And I've been preaching this message for about four years already, four to five years. And I've been called many things (laughs) from other preachers. But you know what God calls me? Son. He calls me son. And I'm like, God, if they only knew, but it's okay. The Lord was reminding me just to be patient because I was there. Right? Like when this church got into radical grace, you were probably more on the legalistic side back then, like all of us were. And who says that we still don't got legalism in us here and there? Right? And so as we go along in this journey and we grow in grace, as we discover some legalistic attitudes and mindsets that we have, just let it go. Just let it go. Even if you've held on to it for 10 or 20, just let it go. Folks, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that you are dearly loved children of God. It doesn't just call you children. You are dearly loved. And one of my favorite books that I would recommend for you to read is called The Shack. Have you read The Shack before? This character, the protagonist, the main character, goes up to Jesus. And Jesus is expressing his love for everybody. So the, the, the character says, so does that mean that all roads lead to you? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, actually, not all roads lead to me. In fact, some roads don't lead anywhere. 
What I do mean is this, I will travel any road to find you. Folks, you see how profound that is? When we stop having this, we're saved, they're not, we're in, they're out. Because they don't believe exactly the way you do and probably your own spouse doesn't even believe exactly the way you do. And when we're saying, you know, Jesus, do all roads lead to you? When God is saying, I will travel any road to find you. That's how big my love is, God is saying. Acts 17 says, God is not far from anybody. He's not far from anybody. He has redeemed, he has rescued the whole world. Folks, salvation is not this black and white, cut and dry the way many Christians think about it. Because I'm sure it's going on in your mind. Josh, does that mean everyone's going to heaven? That's the Western mentality, folks. That's the Western Christian mindset where we make this black and white. Being saved means you die and go to heaven. That's not what saved means. Saved is such a broad term. The word saved or salvation is zotso or soteria, which means deliverance, rescued, healed, salvation, right? All those things. And so whatever, that's why you can see unbelievers experience prosperity. You can see unbelievers experience healing. I've heard some Christians say, no, it's all selfish though. They had to step on people's toes to get to the top. You know, it's like we really assume the worst in people. <laughs> Man, I can tell you so many Christians that have done evil. Folks, people are able to experience God because God is in them. That's the good news for all of humanity. And if people want to reject God, they can. And the thing is that when you choose to live your own life according to your own will, that's not love. It will be a living hell for you here and now. That when you don't make loving choices, you will destroy your marriages. You will destroy your families. You will destroy your business. You will destroy your relationship. That's what bad choices are when you don't choose love. I was watching a sermon a couple of months ago of a famous pastor. I won't mention his name, but he, he, he's, I was very upset with the way he was, he was preaching this good news. He was hammering it in into the congregation. With, he had the verses on the screen too. He says, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Believe in Jesus Christ. It says it there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know that verse, right? So when I was watching this pastor get very passionate and angry, quoting the Bible and the book of John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was with my wife watching this. I said, Remy, that's so interesting that people only focus on that verse. And then they forget exactly what Jesus said after that when he said, it is finished. Folks, is Jesus Christ the only way? Absolutely. But guess what? Here's the good news. He made the way. <laughs> it's finished. <laughs> this is the good news. And just to summarize, this is objective reality, God reconciled. I like the way Steve McVeigh put it, because some people challenged me even the other day. But the Bible says, be reconciled to God. It says that in the book of Romans, be reconciled to God. Yeah, but it also says you've been reconciled. When you were sinners, enemies, and, and powerless. So what does that mean? It's like this. Pastor, be a man. Be a man. So are you not a man right now? No, I'm saying respond. Take responsibility. So in other words, when people are already reconciled, they're saying, no, be reconciled to God. He's already reconciled you to himself. It's this divine dance among the Trinity that God wants you to participate in love, in, uh, in communion, in intimacy. 
with the Father, His Son, and His Spirit. That's beautiful. What God wants is for us to wake up and to participate and be awakened by this reality. Folks, I already showed you that verse. You don't need to convert anybody. If it was your job to convert everybody, you're doing, we're all doing a bad job. Really. I shared this to someone the other day in Cebu. If you really believe, if that person is not saved right now and they're going to go to eternal hell, let me emphasize that. Eternal hell for billions and billions, oh wait, not even billions, eternity. And if you really believe that deep down, that unless you share the good news to them, they're going to go to hell if they die tonight. Oh, you guys, we're all doing bad jobs. You should be out there sharing your gospel to every single person on the street right now because some of them might die tonight. If you really believe that those people who die tonight without Christ, they have Christ. You get what I'm saying, folks? Christ holds all things together. He was always there. All God wants now is to what? Participate. Know me. Know my heart, God is saying. But I'm there. Because God doesn't force himself on you. Love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. He's saying, I'm here. And here's another one more challenge. You're going to go home and you're going to look in your Bible and there's going to be all these verses about how you are justified by faith. Did you know that more and more scholars now are being challenged by the way the Greek text is actually written? That they're actually saying that the better translation shouldn't be that we are justified by our faith. The better translations now, and more scholars are recognizing this, is that we are justified by the faith of Christ. It's not by your faith. Even Galatians chapter 2 says, It's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, that I don't live by faith in the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now take all those other verses that talk about faith and change that. It should represent the faith of Christ because if your justification was based on your faith, pardon my language and don't hate me, you're screwed. Because there are some days where you don't believe very well and there are some days where you do believe very well and there are some days where you don't. Now let me even make it more crazy. I thank God I just remember this right now. You could put this on the screen. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 verses 13 to 16. Verses 13 to 16. And I could just read it or it'll be, I'd like it on the screen so you can see it. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13. Uh, yeah, verses 13 to 16. For you have heard who, this is Paul. Paul, remember, was like a Pharisee, right? A Pharisee of the Pharisees. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Keep going. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now notice he's talking about before he came to Christ. Now check this out. Keep going. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to what? Look at the next verse. To reveal his son to me. To reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. When he was a persecutor of the church, God revealed a son who was already in him. I'm telling you, people who are the worst of the worst, you look at them, how could, they have, how could God be inside of them? You know why they're acting that way? Because they don't believe the truth. They believe lies. That's why they're sinning. That's why they're doing so many things. But when Paul was a persecutor of the church and advancing the ways in Judaism, and yet God set him apart, even in his mother's womb, and chose to reveal the son in him. 
That'll blow our minds. It's so funny how God, like I said, how would that even make sense unless God was already in your heart working in you to get you to that point to say, God, I want to serve you now. But if he's not inside your heart and you say, okay, now come in. Okay, now I want to serve you now. How does, how, think about it. I'm not here to mock, but I'm being serious. It doesn't make sense. God had to be the pursuer. God pursued and found us before we pursued and found him. We were always his son and daughters. That's why I said, why, why should you preach the gospel? This is very easy. When you want to reveal how dirty someone is, what do you preach? The law. If you want to reveal who they are in Christ and their identity as sons of God, what do you preach? The good news. That's the Great Commission. It's funny because some people will say, Josh, why would I need to you know, go to church and do all this stuff if, if everyone's already saved? Well, you're saved and you still go to church. You still obey and read the Bible. Because it's not about those things. I preach the good news because I'm telling you who you are, that you're not really Esther, but you know who you are, right? But some people don't know who they are because they, they, they think their identity is what they've done. But at the same time, even though you're believing this, you still have maybe a couple of dozen more beliefs that are false. So you're still growing. And like when you, if we think born again is when you have this, oh, this, uh, I love God. Oh my gosh, he loves me. Folks, we have that the rest of our life. We should expect even when we're 50, 60, 70 years old, you will still wake up to the goodness of God because God's love was always much bigger than we'll ever imagine. So when we have these waking moments saying, oh my gosh, God loves me, I must be born again now. Wait till 10 years when you start studying more about grace, you'll wake up again and you'll be like, oh my gosh, God's love is even bigger than I thought. So am I born again now? You are always born again. You're just waking up all the time. But it's not like you're being born again and again and again and again and again. It just looks silly. You were born again through the resurrection. That's so why when people are always wanting to do altar calls and recommit their life, it's like they're getting born again a dozen times. No, don't get them to commit their lives. Don't focus on even committing your life. Know that Christ committed his life towards you. That'll wake you up. But if you get all these people, commit your life, rededicate, 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 they're going to get burned and burnt out. But if you tell them about how God is so committed to them and how he dedicated his life to you, even to the point of death, that should wake you up. That's a good God.